Let's go! Welcome to another episode of Let's Go Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Danny Heath, the Project Hockey. Today we had on an unbelievable guest, JFK, the man, the myth, the legend, John Kennedy Jr. Uh, we're pumped to have you on. Uh, and with me as usual is... Heath Kamen of Elevated Hockey. And yeah, this was a cool one. I've, I've talked to JFK a few times here. I, I've been watching him on, on social media. I think he's doing good things. He plays some high-level hockey. Um, so I think it was, it was awesome diving into his, some of his experience and his advice. And, you know, for me, I love the international game. I love seeing the game grow in what some people might consider non-traditional hockey countries. And, and Coach Kennedy is doing a huge service and doing good work down in Australia, growing the game after playing D1 hockey. You know, he's an American, but he's down in Australia now coaching and growing the game. And, you know, another, the other thing I love about this episode, he really touched on it a bunch is about um, the importance of work ethic and, and just putting in the work. And as Danny always says, do the work and he's a you know, he's living and breathing it. So I, I was into yeah. it, man. What, what about you? What are your thoughts, Danny? He's the real deal. Uh, he he opened up about a lot of things, talked about being a black hockey player. He talked about his coaches and, and the influence that they had on him, and one being John Cooper, uh, also Seth Appert. I mean, this guy, he's so well-rounded, and he knows what he's doing. And it's cool that he has a ton of success on on you know social media, and you see all that stuff, but the behind-the-scenes stuff that this guy's doing and this guy knows, like – I would love if my kids played for him one day. So pumped to have him on. Uh, like I said in the episode, I want to have this guy on again. And uh, I was supposed to run a hockey camp with him this last summer, but obviously COVID-19 said no. Uh, but I'm looking forward to hopefully getting on the ice with him and just learning. So this guy's a real deal. And it's there's something in this episode for everyone to take away, whether you want to play college hockey, you want to play in the NHL, you want to coach, whatever you want to do with the game of hockey, you'll you'll learn something from this. So that's about it. I mean, let's dive into this thing and let's let coach talk and, and cross check that like button, show us some love. <laughs> and am I missing anything else, camera? I think that's it, man. I think, you know, the, the reality is, is there's a bunch of questions I had that we didn't even get to. So hopefully we can have them back on again, but I'm a, I'm a big fan uh, of John Kennedy jr. I'm a big fan of what he's doing. Uh, we didn't talk about this in the episode, but like when I was first starting out elevated hockey a couple of years back, he was like one of the guys I followed on Instagram. I was like, well, this guy's doing it and yeah. he knows what he's doing. He's a good hockey player who's helping kids and he's documenting what he's doing. And I was a big fan of that. And he was like one of the first guys that I was like, yeah, maybe I should start documenting what I'm doing on elevated too. So, um, yeah, I, I got a lot of more follow-up questions next time we talk to him, but I think legitimately this was a really good one. This is, uh, it's worth a listen. So I, I say with that, I think we just get into it. Let's let, let's let man talk. Before we jump into that camera. Before that. What's let's up? talk about Elevated. What's going on in Elevated world right now? <laughs> Sounds like you got a camp coming. Do you got some camps coming up? Yeah, Elevated Hockey. I mean, normally I take, you know, I do a couple things in, in my home state of Montana, you know, my adopted home state of Montana. And I do a few things around the Western region in the U.S. But this year... Well, and typically I, I usually do two or three international camps, uh, development camps a year. You love year. international. I love it. I can't get enough. So anybody listening out there, you want me to come visit you? I'll this guy there. will be there in a heartbeat. But uh, yeah, I mean, with COVID, it, the borders are closed. I'm not traveling internationally. So I'm putting a really big um, emphasis on on helping grow my local talent here in Montana. And, you know, we're finding some success with with players reaching higher levels. We got kids going to AAA. We got kids going to prep school. We got kids going to higher level juniors. We just had one of my players was just at the USHL combine, which I think might've been the first ever Montana player, which is pretty cool. That's cool. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm doing more camps instead of my maybe two or three or four here. And I think I'm going to do around a dozen in Montana over the next nine to 12 months. So uh, just, just trying to get on the ice as much as I can. And the college season is kind of on hold, but we're going to practice um, a couple days a week and, and, just be ready for a second semester when, when they allow us to play games. So just on yeah. the ice, getting fired up. You think you'll have a chance to play second semester? I sure hope so. I mean, I think, Who knows, I think right? yeah, it's just too much of a variable. I mean, we have a schedule, we have over 20 games scheduled and we're, we have our, you know, the, the dates for uh, league championships and, and national championships this year in Boston. And I got them circled on my calendar and we're, we're going to do everything. We're going to operate as if, everything is going to happen and we're going to go because when, when they give us the green light to play, whether it's the, the university or the college level, we're going to be ready to play. And so we're not going to sit around and, and just wait and feel bad. We're going to make the most of it and, and be dialed in 
all first semester so that we can uh, compete against ourselves. And when we hit the ice for real, we're going to be a, a problem for the other teams. That's our goal. Love that. Prepare, prepare. I love that. Well, cool. Let's jump into this episode. Let's get after it, coach. What do you say? I say let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Oh. This interview was brought to you by our friends at HockeyWolf.com. If you love the game of hockey or just know someone who does, you need to visit HockeyWolf.com today. Hockey Wolf has physical locations in Montana and Washington State, but if you aren't lucky enough to live near one of their stores, you can always visit their website and place an order at any time. They have everything you need from skates and sticks to shower slips and hoodies. And for all of you coaches and organizational leaders out there, listen up because Hockey Wolf provides some of the best team sales services in all of North America. So if your team needs new helmets, maybe some gloves, boxes of tape, even some warm up suits and training gear, Hockey Wolf has you covered. So like we always say, go support Hockey Wolf because they support us. That's H-O-C-K-E-Y-W-O-L-F.com. And hey, for all of you lacrosse players out there, make sure you visit lacrossewolf.com too. All right, let's go to the interview. Originally hailing from Saginaw, Michigan, he's a standout player for Little Caesars and Honey Baked AAA programs before joining the North American Hockey League for three seasons, where he won the league championship with the St. Louis Bandits. He played... NCAA D1 hockey for RPI from 2007 to 2011, during which he was a team captain his junior and senior seasons. After RPI, he made his pro debut in the CHL for the Dayton Gems before heading to Australia to play in the AIHL. Recently transitioned from playing in that league to being a head coach for the Newcastle North Stars and was the 2019 AIHL Coach of the Year. Plus, on top of all that, he's the founder and director of National Sports Academy Hockey, better known as NSA Hockey, Premier Hockey Development Academy in Australia. John Kenny Jr., welcome to the Let's Go Hockey podcast. How's it going today? Oh, man, it's doing great. That was a good introduction. He's mm-hmm. nailed it. <laughs> that was huge. Uh, thanks for coming on, Coach. We appreciate it. It was good to get these time zones hooked up. I think it's 8 o'clock at night here for us. And What time is it there for you? Uh, it's nearly noon, so yeah, I've already, well, it's Friday, so I'm living in the future. Oh, no, it's Thursday. Thursday, I take that back. I'm living Thursday. in the future, not that far in the now future. Now you just got a day yeah. taken from you. Love it. Well, <laughs> we appreciate you having an on-camera kind of talked about the highlights of your career, but if you wouldn't mind kind of just jumping into your hockey background and, and how you got to where you are today, what's the story like? Oh, uh, look, everyone has a hockey story. Mine was a, uh, a local TV commercial for in Saginaw. Uh, for whatever reason, at the end of the like the rink commercial, they showed a goalie doing the big kick save with a glove save, and that got me every time. So I wanted, I kept begging my dad, take a skating, take a skating, and uh, essentially he took a skating once. And as you know, you're doing a public session, your ankles are bending, you're barely falling over. But there was a, a high school hockey game right afterwards, so I'm on my tiptoes looking inside the rink. And uh, someone got smashed right in front of me. And my dad, I looked to my dad. And I'm like, what's that? It's like, that's ice hockey. I'm like, I want to play that. And literally ever since that day, it's been hockey pucks and sticks flowing through my veins. I uh, just love the sport, love the game and uh, everything that it's given me throughout my, pretty much my life and a lot of the lessons that I've gained from it. So started in Saginaw, did the jump where um, I was playing house hockey. And as you do, you, uh, you end up playing, you start getting better. You enjoy the game. Uh, the worst time of year was uh, in between spring and fall season because it was like a four-month gap and you couldn't play. And all I wanted to do was be on the ice, and the only thing I could do was play soccer. But, um, yeah, ended up making the jump to AAA probably around uh, Squirts Peewee, played AAA in Flint. And then, uh, yeah, did the, I did my rounds in Detroit, so I played for Compuware, Little Caesars, Honey Baked, all of those names. Um, but I uh, was fortunate enough to make it in uh, the North American Hockey League where I played with the Stu Indians under Joe Sean. Um, that was, dude, I feel like I'm rambling, but that was a great experience in itself. Um, but yeah, did three seasons each year. We made it to like the grand final, like the championship type weekend, even though we didn't make it to the championship. But luckily enough, with the St. Louis Band, it's my last year. We uh, uh, went all the way with John Cooper as our head coach. Patty Maroon also as well was on that team, uh, just a name drop. But uh, yeah, and then after that, college, and uh, yeah, you guys got the whole spiel there. And away you went. So 
Yeah, so I appreciate you walking us through that. And we'll, we'll come back to the, I got a question for you a little later on. We'll come back to your time with the bandits um, yeah. towards the end. But, you know, one thing I know is that, you know, where I kind of first came across with you, uh, you know, you and I have talked a few times in the past. and But a lot of people know you from, you know, your work on, on Instagram, on social media, or like your, you know, you do a lot of work with Hockey Shot on their pages. Uh, but a lot of people, I think, don't realize that you actually played like such high level hockey. Like you played NCAA D1 hockey for, uh, for RPI and not only that, what you were a captain at that level. And so I think that's something that, um, I think a lot of our listeners would be interested in. And so maybe if you can touch on, on talk about kind of your roles as a leader on your thoughts as a leader, um, at the D one level, and then how that's kind of led to you being now a hockey director and a hockey coach and working with younger aspiring players. Oh uh, yeah. Look at the end of the day, I was passionate about the game. Um, I guess you, you almost have to go further back to when I got my first time getting cut. So I told you I got from Saginaw, I went to Flint to play AAA hockey. But um, I was playing like two years up. Um, I was doing well. I was like, a, I don't know, squared age playing peewees. And when I decided to make that jump to AAA, I tried out for the team in the spring and I got cut. Um, that was foreign to me because I was one of the top kids in my rink. But once I got cut from the team, I mean, like the guy's like, you know, you're good, but you're not good enough for us. That summer, I did two hockey camps, shot pucks, did all the dry land stuff. Literally anything the coaches told me, I did. I came back on that team in the fall for the fall tryouts, and I was the best defenseman on the team. And then that's when that light switch flipped that if I invest into myself, if I work hard, I get better. And that's literally been the transition that helped me throughout pretty much all my career was working hard in the summers, get better, going into the season ready, having a cracker season, and then climbing the ranks. So, you know, it allowed me to go from being on Flint, which was a mediocre AAA team and competing with some of the top players like the Nathan Gerbys. You can go down the the list of names of guys that have made it. Um, And then so that was instilled in me was hard work. I was never the most skilled player, you could say. Maybe at the younger ages, I had the skill and the goals. But as I kept climbing the ranks, um, I, I wouldn't say skill was my thing. It was work ethic and attention to details and that's what I knew kind of was my game and helped me and that's what helped me kind of to get to the collegiate level um when you talk about like juniors and everything my first year of juniors it was a matter of playing for a really tough team or a really tough coach who was very disciplined our team within the first I would say two months was probably the worst team in the league we made a bunch of trades. It was scary as a young kid being in your final year of high school, thinking you might get traded, but then hearing that, you know, they can't trade high schoolers, but um, just working your tail off day in and day out. And then that season turning around, you kind of understand what junior hockey is all about. Um, going against the USA uh, national development program, some of the top talents there. And um, as you move on throughout your hockey career, then I went to Cleveland where it was the same thing, hard work, dedication, all the typical things. But look, I knew from the age of 11 that I wanted to play college hockey. Um, I wanted to play for U of M. So there's this little bio thing that we did when I was playing for CompuWare when I was 11, 12 years old. And it said that I wanted to be an engineer. I wanted to play for University of Michigan, go as far as I can with hockey. And I wanted to own my own business. And uh, I knew that from a young age. And so I was able to like tick those boxes. I knew I wanted to play college hockey. And then when you're in juniors, that's your whole focus. Like your whole focus is kind of win games, stats, you know, you want to play college hockey. You want to get that college one division one college commitment. And after my second season on the Cleveland Barons, I felt good. Like I was looking at other people getting commitments. I kept seeing like, okay, this person gets it. That person gets it. Why haven't I gotten mine? I've talked to a couple colleges and there's kind of a struggle there. But um, going from that Cleveland team, not having a college commitment, um, that Cleveland team was in the North American, but it was transitioning to the Columbus team in the USHL. And if anyone knows, once you're in the USHL, if you're getting regular shifts, whether you're first, second, third, or fourth line, you're going to get a college commitment. So I felt like the team that I was one of the top defensemen for, they've gone from the North American, they're about to go to the USHL. Um, I've done well. The coaches like me. I'm going to make this team. And then from there, get my college one division one commitment. And it didn't happen that way. Uh, You make it to the all-star game. You're feeling good in camp. And then long story short, you get cut. Um, 
when I got cut there, I literally wanted to quit hockey because after all the long years of my parents driving two hours from Saginaw to Detroit or an hour and a half, just one way coming back. It was uh, one of those challenging things where you've put so much in the hockey, you have these visions and dreams and you felt like you were done wrong by. And I took on the victim mentality, but um, yeah, long story short, when I thought I was getting ready to quit a buddy who was playing in Marquette, Michigan, he, uh, he gave me a call and said, Hey, Johnny, um, there's a team up here. I think I forgot what the team was named. And I was getting ready to pack my bags to uh, go to another North American team in Marquette. However, um, yeah, I ended up getting a call from my honeybake coach, um, John Kissel. And he said, a guy in St. Louis, John Cooper wants you to play for his team. So yeah, pretty much the story writes itself. We ended up doing one more year of the North American, winning a championship and going from there. So I guess the biggest thing that I gained from a leadership, hard work point of view is usually it's the time where you're getting ready to quit or you're ready, getting ready to give up is the time that you should just keep pushing forward. So, yeah. That's a, that's a story. And there's so much to unpack there. Like all the, all the way from like, I mean, I've seen high school kids get traded, so that's not always the, uh, the case. Um, and then all the way up to, to where you are now and you eventually got, um, man, there's a ton I want to talk about, but I, I kind of want to, let's, let's dig into just kind of, so then after that process and then you, you made it to college, you did all that stuff. Your final year was in 2011. I'm wondering if you, did you, you guys played uh, Minnesota state one year? We never played. I don't think we played you guys. We've okay. played some teams that were in the dub. Uh, we, the, my final year of college, we did make it to um, the, 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 the tournament. We yeah. like, we knocked in uh, pretty much based on the RPI ranking, we uh, we got in. We played Nodak, got smacked by them, and that was pretty yeah. good. It must have been um, the year after that I uh, that we went and played at RPI. Oh, really? So, yeah, because my final game was in, was at RPI when I, I got slew-footed by one of you guys and cracked my head on the ice and uh, ended up getting a pretty bad concussion. But so that thankfully that wasn't you. Sounds like it wasn't you at least. I'm not a dirty player. <laughs> uh, but yeah, then you, you, I mean, you eventually go to Australia. How, how does that end up happening? How did, how do you end up going? From, oh, look, like, you so after to- college, um, pretty much. Yeah. After going through college, I did a year in the CHL, which is pretty much the East coast now. Um, didn't play for the best of teams. Um, and when you're in the East coast, when you're in the SPHL, essentially once the season's done, the checks stop. So I looked into what I was going to, I was applying for jobs, looking for something to do, maybe internships using my uh, degree. And then my buddy, uh, Nick Pulaski, he's like, Hey buddy, um, there's a league in Australia. Do you want to check it out? I'm like, sweet. Why not? Free flights, free accommodation, and you get to travel. Um, looking at the map, being from America, we're not really good at, at our geography. The only thing we worry about is America and the right. whole world revolves around us. So I looked at the map. I see the two biggest cities, Sydney and Melbourne, and uh, a team out of Canberra pretty much said, yeah, we'll take both of you. So we, we ended up going to Canberra and had a blast, man. Uh, granted, even though it's at the capital city, it's in between the two biggest cities in the country, they're nowhere near in distance. So I, I, I didn't travel much to Sydney or Melbourne, but you do get to travel the country. It's beautiful. Like this place is amazing. Um, unfortunately for you guys, you get what a couple months of uh, warm weather. Well, we get like a few months of cold weather and like, we're crying. I'm crying about 10, 10 degrees Celsius. I'm crying. I'm like, why is it this cold? Um, but yeah, so I came out here for that season and it was during the year that what 2012, 2013 NHL lockout when you had guys like Pat Kane playing overseas and whatnot. And I, the only thing I had was a SPHL contract coming back. And to be honest, I already went through the grind of pro hockey and double A hockey. So literally getting ready to go back into another season, I didn't have the, the heart and drive that it was going to take in order to, to do another year pro. And I was just being real and honest with myself. And when you're growing up as a kid and hockey is like your everything, sometimes uh, admitting that, look, I'm, I'm not going to make it is a hard one to take. It happens to everyone at some point. But for me, that's when it happened. I'm like, look. I'm not going to grind it out. Um, the reason I got a degree is so I didn't have to fight guys and, and beat my body up for $200, $300 a week. 
And plus, I made the mistake of getting like a big boy job while I was here and started making some checks. I'm like, oh, this is what it feels like to have money. <laughs> yeah, hard to so, watch. Uh, yeah. So that's how I ended up staying here. But while I was here, I, I saw a massive need for hockey development. Um, while I was at RPI um, and just during the summers um, <clears throat> in between like junior teams and college, uh, hockey development was huge. I used to work for a camp called Northern Edge Elite Hockey School. Um, it was predominantly out of the Midwest. And because of that passion, just seeing Craig Woodcroft, Jay Woodcroft and his brother, um, what they invested into the kids and how they developed players over the summer and knowing that was a big part of my career. Um, yeah, I knew that's something that I wanted to do. Granted, I thought I would be in the States doing it. But when I found myself here and I saw the need, it was kind of a no brainer to stay in Australia. So is that uh, JFK, that's kind of how you started the NSA, like the, the hockey academy there, I take it then, right? So Yeah, so I did a full season in Canberra, but I knew if I wanted to stay in Australia, I wanted to be on the coast. So before I went back home, uh, I did a, a road trip from, it's called the Gold Coast, all the way down to Sydney. And it's pretty much just nothing but a beautiful coastline, um, little beach towns everywhere. And a kid from Michigan, like, look, we have lakes, but that's about it. <laughs> and I was over shoveling snow in the winter. So I'm like, I, I could easily call this place home. I'm young. I'm single. Why not? And so I, if I was going to stay in Australia, I wanted to stay in a coastal town and Newcastle, New South Wales, uh, the North stars, they contacted me when I was sending my hockey resume for the first trip. So I just talked to the GM, see what they were doing next year. And pretty much he said, yeah, you can come to Newcastle. I'm like, sweet. And when I came back, I got in touch with a guy named Dave Ferrari, who um, he was out in, he did some uh, coaching out in Drumheller, 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 in the SJ, or uh, AJ. Is that, does that ring a bell? All right, Drumhelen or Drumheller. So he's, uh, he's an Aussie kid, but uh, Aussie guy that was out there coaching, and he's very passionate about hockey. And essentially, we just connected. We knew that we wanted to uh, run run development camps and help uh, the overall development of ice hockey players in Australia. So once we got connected, we, it was just a no brainer. So it started off NSA did start off as North star Academy, which is the team that I coach, but we knew that we wanted to do more than just the North stars. We wanted to be able to attach ourselves to the national body. So we called it national sport Academy from there. That's awesome. I actually didn't know that it was linked to, to the name North Star. That's kind of a cool little behind the scenes as you guys are getting, getting things rolling. So let's, okay. So you made, let's back up a second. So you, you, you played in two different teams then in Australia, you get to a point where maybe we didn't really talk about this, but you get to a point where you make that transition from player into coach in the last couple of seasons. So yep. you're doing, you're doing NSA with, with the youth programs. And then you're also now coaching the the team you used to be a player for so let's dive into before we got into nsa let's talk about the team you're coaching right now yeah um, the the north stars newcastle north stars tell me about like what you know where where are these players coming from what are you focusing on what are you like what does a typical week for a player there look like for you guys okay so look i'll go through a typical week from our league and then from there kind of the focus of what i i like to put focus on during that time um, a lot of the local players are from the region. So a lot of our players are from uh, Newcastle, Central Coast, which is probably about an hour away. And we got a few players from Sydney, which is a couple hours. But um, for the most part, all the local players, they have their jobs, they, they work. Some guys have families. Um, and it's just your normal everyday life. Uh, we practice on a Tuesday night, a Thursday night, and games are only on the weekend. So they're either be Saturday or a Sunday. Um, in regards to imports, we're allowed four, we're allowed six imports over the course of a season, but you're only allowed four imports to dress in one game. Okay. So usually our imports, the amount of talent that we've had from the time I began has just been going higher and higher. I remember, you know, you get an SP player, you get a federal, uh, a federal league player, um, maybe a couple East coast guys. And that was good. Now it's nothing to get a couple guys drafted from the NHL uh, maybe a goalie or two that has had some NHL experience. So the level of imports here is growing and it's getting better. Uh, the league itself is doing a lot better. So that's great. So within that focus, um, essentially as a coach on Tuesday, that's going to be more of our flow day, um, flow slash battle. 
Um, I, I do like to get, I like to incorporate skills as well because only being on the ice twice a week, as you guys would know, is, is a little bit dumbed or dimmed down from what we're used to overseas. So a, a lot of puck touches on a, a Tuesday practice, um, not so much X's and O's, but just getting the flow, more uh, battle tactics that we're going to be working on, angling, uh, two-on-two, three-on-two situations. And then as we progress to the Thursday, um, usually that's where, you know, you're going to have a flowy practice, but at the end of the day, you may review something that you need to work on. It could be our D zone, uh, could be power play PK, and uh, we just progress from there. So we only get two practices a week. Um, I'm fortunate enough for that. Some teams only get three practices in a two-week period, or some teams only even get one practice a week. With you skating two practices a week and then you play one or two games on the weekends, like how, how long is your season? And, and actually, maybe for the listeners that don't know, when is your season? Because it's a little flip from in North America. So it's pretty much flipped. So our season starts late April. So like the last weekend in April, and it'll go to the last weekend in August or first weekend in September. Because uh, of the imports, is at the end of their season, uh, they come in and then they need to be out going back to Europe, going back to North America by September. So that's uh, the span of our season. And it's a 28-game season. Eight teams, play each team four times, two away, two at home. And we just have a finals weekend. So with eight teams, only the top four teams make it. Uh, one versus four, two versus three. And then the winners of those games play on the Sunday. Gotcha. That makes sense. I mean, what a, what a dream to go down there and play some hockey. I, I, oh. I'm jealous of you, man, but let's, uh, let's switch gears over to what you're doing with the youth programs, uh, the, yep. the individual players and the youth programs you're working with. And let's talk from a development side about, you know, what are you doing with NSA to help grow uh, these players in Australia? Oh, look, like you hear the conversations. Um, everyone has their philosophies, but for us and for me, it is growing the baseline skill. Um, first and foremost is providing more ice time for these players. Um, most kids at the youth level practice once a week, and then they play one game on the weekend. So that's only two hours. Obviously, that's not enough. For the kids that are heavy advocates for, for the sport, um, some of them find extra ice time here and there, but we've wanted to provide an, an elite level of coaching and development. Through that, a lot of it, I do focus on power skating. I'm a huge believer in like, you have to skate in order to play the game. Granted, you know, you have the buzzwords of hockey IQ and game sense, which are, are key, but I know from the role that we play, it's just getting those players the raw skill and talent between their puck skills, their shooting, um, their skating ability to be able to incorporate, to be able to play the game better. And then once we see that they have that foundation, kind of growing that more into the hockey sense and hockey IQ. Yeah, I think that's a huge part of it, right? And a lot of times, like, coaches, that's the first thing they, they'll say is, like, oh, the kid can't think the game. They don't think the game. And when really they can't we, – we have no idea if they can think the game, right? Like, they need to be able to skate and shoot and do all that stuff first before they even have a chance to think it. And so, I mean, yeah. I love that. Love that type of mindset. Is that – is that something that you've picked up from coaches? Because I know that, I mean, you obviously won a championship in the NA and your your coach was John Cooper, who, decent coach, right? And so uh, with him being in the conference finals right now, is I mean, is that something you picked up from him? or um... Coops, to be honest with Cooper, I'll say it to this day. Like, I didn't think he gave us anything profound X's and O's where he was just like, oh, I didn't think about that. One thing I did remember him telling me is like, usually I would compound mistakes where I made a bad breakout pass. So instead of just holding my position, I wanted to follow that pass and pretty much double my mistake. So that was the biggest thing I learned from him, but he was just a coach that whatever it was, he knew he was going to do the most for his players. Um, and you wanted to go through a brick wall for Coop. He just, he, he has a swagger about him um, that made you want to play for him. And he, he does things for his players. Like at that time, whether it's a pair of skates and juniors and like those, like the little things, or it could have been, it could have been anything It's small for you at that time, but it, it meant that the coach cared about you. And I think that was the one thing that I learned from Coop the most. Um, and just his bench management and his cool demeanor. He's not yeah. a guy that's going to scream and yell at you and, and degrade you because you don't need that. And, but he was doing this 
like I was playing juniors in 2007, you know what I mean? So you still have coaches that are still adapting that scream down your throat method and kids don't like, if kids aren't getting it at home, they're not going to respond to a coach that does it to them. It's not going to switch into that. And I know sometimes like I'll crack into players when I need to, but it's more of a, I believe that you have more than I believe that you're just garbage. And I, and, and hearing coaches yell, scream, cuss at players, I don't see the point, you know, and I think we're beyond that. So that would be probably the biggest thing from our coaching development side. Um, it's not just telling players, like we want to teach them. You can tell a player all day long, but what are you actually teaching them? And not even teaching them, you want them to get to a point where they're self-assessing, they're thinking about, okay, what can I do in this situation? So, yeah. Yeah, that, uh, how was he with the refs? Was he easy on those guys or no? Say it again? Was Cooper, was Cooper pretty easy on the refs or was he? Uh, 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 <laughs> I think he knew how to make digs. I, yeah. like, I've had, I have Seth Appert. Seth Appert uh, at RPI, he definitely would give uh, the referees a tongue lashing. But, yeah, Cooper's pretty oh, yeah. good with the referees. Yeah, Appert was the best at that. He, uh, <laughs> he was recruiting me a little bit when he was back at Denver and then um, – yeah, he was, he was an awesome guy to be around. What was he like at, at RPI? Was he uh, fun to play for? Uh, Seth was – he was a young coach, had a lot of energy. Um, the biggest thing from him was his positivity. Uh, regardless, I know our first two years when I was at RPI were pretty tough. Um, usually bottom feeder, top – or bottom eight to 12 teams. And uh, each and every day came with a positive attitude and a ready-to-work mentality. So even after we could have lost both games on the weekend, when a coach provides that, you don't feel – I don't know. It just – you're going to get more out of your players long-term than, okay, I stuffed up. Great, here it is. You know, oh, great, I stuffed up. And you're almost, you almost have that player anxiety of making mistakes where he kept you accountable, but I don't think players were anxious, or at least I wasn't. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you're definitely blessed to play for some awesome coaches. Are, are there any other ones that kind of stick out that we're missing that you're like, man, this guy just taught me how to do this better than uh, I would say I would probably go back to Joe Sean. Um, he played goalie for Lake Superior State in college. I want to say he's at Michigan Tech, or he was at Michigan Tech for a while. Um, you can fact check that. You're probably going to have to fact check a lot of these things. Everything I say is more of a generalization. Um, but he was – the opposite side of say a Seth Apper or John Cooper, he was a uh, disciplinary by the nth degree. Uh, I remember one time on the ice, it was kind of funny. Um, essentially we were doing a drill. He blows the drill down. He, he stands right up in front of me. It's probably like a five on five drill. Stands right in front of me. He's like, drop your gloves. I'm like, oh, okay. And he's like, okay, take off your helmet. And I'm like, am I getting ready to fight the coach? Like is the coach about to fight <laughs> takes his stick like he's getting ready to swing it and like i just like your natural reaction is it's like the way you reacted i want you to react like that on the ice all right react quicker okay so okay it took me a second (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't saying play scared he's saying play quicker (laughs) yeah playing quicker yeah but um like that's where i was introduced to a lot of video training i think uh whatever computer program it was uh xo or I forgot what it was called, but whatever video program they had back then, um, back in juniors, that's when I guess we did a lot of the video analysis. So I was doing that since juniors, and I think it's a big part of the game. So I would say Joe Sean would probably be that last piece of the puzzle. Uh, yeah. The lead coaches that really helped me out. Yeah, yeah I that's think, uh, spectacular. You worked with a couple couple solid coaches. I just looked there. I know Seth Apper just got hired by one of the AHL teams, and um, – and then uh, the other coach you just mentioned there, Sean, he's uh, he's at Michigan Tech, like you said, you were you were right. But uh, Danny, go ahead. I think you had a question there for him. Yeah, I was just gonna say if you did that, hey, take your bucket off, drop your gloves. I'm gonna fake hit you in the head thing. Now you probably wouldn't be coaching very long. But I love that. Uh, I love that idea. Like the it was a cool way, and it stuck with you forever. Um, oh, absolutely. For sure. That's cool. You got a little triangle of pretty awesome coaches there that have helped mold you into the coach you are now. Uh, switching sides to like the player side, you, you've obviously got to play with some, some absolute studs. 
Um, you talked about Nathan Gerby. We know he's that work ethic freak uh, that we, we had him on the podcast uh, a few episodes ago. And I mean, you talked about the same kind of stuff where just work, 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 work. Was he, uh, was he all talk or was he pretty much that way around the rink? When you, oh, no, he's, the, he's absolutely the real deal. I mean, yeah. I've only competed against him. Um, and he played for Honeybake pretty much the whole way through. So a lot of my AAA, like I love, as a kid, I love going against the top forwards. I remember when I played for Little Caesars going against Bobby Ryan. And when uh, I was playing juniors, going against pretty much anyone in the USA program that ended up in the show. Um, like Pat Kane, great player to play against. I, the best way I could describe him was a fly on the ice. <laughs> but guys like Derby, his work ethic was known amongst the whole league. So if you have a group of whatever, peewees, bantams, midgets, and everyone knows your work ethic because it's just that insane, it, it just tells you who you are on and off the ice. So, yeah, going against players like that, it kind of – guys like that that had a, a dog-like mentality definitely upped what you were doing. I know coaches say when you're not working, someone else is, or while you're sleeping, someone else is working – that would be a player that would be in the back of your head. Uh, you know what? While I'm sleeping, I'm sure that guy's probably shooting pucks or while I'm resting, that person's probably in the gym. So, yeah. Well, I mean, you just rattled off a few guys that have been pretty successful at the highest levels of the game. And, you know, we're talking about forwards pretty much and you're, you're playing D. Could you have any, like, what are, what are the, some of the tips you're giving your D's when they're working against a guy that has that much work ethic or is just like relentless on the ice as a defenseman? What would you used to do or what are you teaching your players? Uh, <sighs> tricks and tips for the, for the demon. To be honest, like, look, the game is faster, it's quicker. Therefore, that's why I like to talk about foot speed, um, edge control. Those things are great. You, you see players like the Quinn Hughes. Um, look, you look at Victor Hedman. They're good skaters. Um, as a defenseman, you have to be a good skater. Um, you have to be confident in your pivots. You have to be confident in being able to uh, get going backwards right away. Certain players, though, you have to almost live to die another day, and it's more about containing. You know, Whenever we do our contact clinics, um, we say contain, contact, control. So for defensemen, you really want to contain the player first before you try just going straight at them and they dipsy-doodle around you. Um, I will say... I, I was more of a hard-nosed player. My, my idol was Scott Stevens. So I, I'm more of a guy that likes to throw the big hits. Um, and with that is focusing on the body. So defensemen nowadays, you could say, there's a lot of stick checks, and there's a lot of times where a play could be nullified if it was just playing the body. So defensemen these days, even though we, we, we have to be able to pivot and you can't hold guys up like you used to, you have to watch the body. I think wherever the body goes, that's where the forward's going to go. And you have players with just ridiculous hands that if you're not working with angles, playing the body and having good foot footwork, you know, you're at a disadvantage. So <clears throat> I know when I was at RPI, um, Brian Vines, he uh, was a captain for Denver, but uh, he was uh, our defensive coach. Uh, we worked on that nonstop. And this was before, you know, skill work was such a big thing. Uh, working with him on days off or working with him in the mornings, 15, 20 minutes was huge for my development. So that's a big thing that I pushed towards defensemen growing up. That's awesome advice. I mean, the game, you're exactly right. The game's getting so much faster and, and the forwards are getting so much faster. The D are becoming that extra, that second, third, fourth wave of attack, even leading the attack sometimes too. And it, you know, you can't, you can't make up for that, that foot speed. And when you start getting higher levels and, you know, that brings me, you know, I, I kind of geek out on the rosters a lot and I look at, at where players are going and I'm starting to see more Australian kids pop up on junior rosters and things, yeah. with, you know, prep school rosters in Canada or, or junior rosters in the U S um, what would you say, you know, I mean, let me backtrack. It, it's obvious that these kids are getting good instruction instruction over in Australia, whether it's from you or, or other, there are other coaches from their associations and, and the game is growing there. And, and it's pretty obvious because these kids are getting opportunities. But what do you see as like kind of a two part question? What do you, what would you say is like, if there's a prototypical Australian player and then maybe the, after that, if there isn't, but what is the next, um, like wave of Australian players look like? What's the next big hurdle that you guys are overcoming? Um, with growth. So I guess for the first one you're I guess, typical Australian player, um, usually because of our population density or the lack thereof, 
Um, maybe you would have the numbers, but how uh, roughly how many players are registered in youth hockey in America? Oh man, I it's several hundred thousand. I, I don't remember how yeah, many. Yeah, several hundred, hundreds of thousands. Hundreds so it could be like hundreds of thousands. Yeah, like three hundred thousand. Yep. We're less youth players. I'm pretty sure. Don't quote me. Fact check me, uh, producer. Fifteen hundred youth players. You know what I mean. So if you look at the country size compared to the USA, we're, we're pretty much around the same. When you look from East Coast to West Coast, it's about the same. So we don't have that population density. So you have pockets of players that are good within their region and with their rink. So a typical top line Australian ice hockey player is a good skater. They can skate with the best of them. It's just like any good hockey player that you would see. However, they haven't had the advantage of playing or competing against top level players like themselves. So usually, you know, we do have um, a national tournament where they take the best kids from each state and they compete. And I guess that's our top competition. And even at that, you would probably take the say top two or three players from those teams, put them together. So the best of the best, and maybe they would compete with like a single A, double A team overseas. And that's the real reality. And it's not nothing against the kids or their talent. It's just, like, I remember the quote that I said going into RPI. I, I'm used to hard work and things like that, but when I got to RPI, I realized I didn't know what hard work was. And I think it's the culture shock for these players where they don't actually know what real competition competitiveness is from a day-to-day level. So I know I encourage, I know other players or other coaches in the area when we're working with players, we encourage players if the mom and dad have the money, they have the skill and talent and they have the ability, like, you know, if mom and dad have, you know, the finances, the kid has the drive and the talent, usually 14, 15, which is kind of sad to have to move away from home by the age of 14. But for them to even have a sniff, I would probably say 13, to be honest, for them to have a sniff in a game that they love and they enjoy, they, they almost have to make that, they have to separate themselves from, from here because we don't have that consistent competition, whether or not you have amazing coaches, whether or not you have, you know, a couple of amazing players in your area is being able to play with a high level of talent day in and day out consistently um, playing with and against that's going to make you a better player. I know I got better because my competition was so good, you know? So that's where I would say the landscape of Australian ice hockey is moving forward. I could see, we're doing more international tournaments, which is great. I know we put a team in the Pee Wee tournament. Um, I know we do like a friendship game where we compete against a team from Minnesota, from Japan and different things like that. Moving forward, I think our best connection with high level players would probably be Southeast Asia. Playing teams from those regions, having them come across the border once COVID is done, just so you get more high level competition throughout the year to help them build their talents. Yeah. Yeah, I would say that's a huge thing. And it like setting the age at 13 isn't crazy anymore because you think about kids here in the U.S. that are leaving home at 13 as well to go play in these hockey hotbeds. And I mean, you are who you surround yourself with. Like it's it's a little bit different, kind of like you were saying, when you got one or two stud hockey players playing around you. And and it, like you said, it's nothing against whoever. Um, it's, it's just more the fact like, that's the way the world is. It's the same in the business world, it's the same in soccer. It's the same in any other sport. And so, yeah, I think the more you can put yourself in a situation where you're going to be around other players that are focused like you are in the game of hockey, I think it's going to take it to the next level. And so, I don't know, we'll see if, if things can kind of ramp up around the world. But if, I mean, you look at the U S over the last X amount of years, like the numbers are, are going up with the amount of players that are putting in the NHL that aren't just these third or fourth line guys, right? Like it's these yeah. huge superstars in the NHL now. So, and like, and speaking of which, like I know a few of our players, well, probably one of our, our top athletes that we work with, he's been knocked back, you know, getting ready to head overseas. I think he was getting ready to head to an Academy and yeah, it's just not going to happen from this year. So, yeah. you know, and I guess the biggest thing that I could probably say to players now is that they're not going to get this time back. I know some players have viewed it. I know at least here, like when the rinks shut down as, oh, well, if there's no rinks, if I can't train outside of home, then 
I guess that's my excuse not to train, but, and these development years, you guys all know the, the hockey window is very short. So taking advantage or making the most of a crappy situation because you're not going to get this time back, taking three, four months off just to twiddle your thumbs, (laughs) you know, and and I know it's tough. Like I, I absolutely, I, my heart goes out to the players that lost their season, senior players that didn't get to play for a championship. But at the end of the day, um, after you accept what has happened, uh, getting rid of the victim mentality of I can't do anything and making the most out of it is huge. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right on that. And it's, you know, I talk about that with my college team right now because our season's on hold and we didn't get to finish um, you know, as far as we wanted last year. And a lot of the youth players that I work with, same thing. And you, know, you kind of flip that script a little bit and it's an opportunity because a lot of people – I think out there are going to view it as like, uh, uh, we're going to take the season off or I'm not going to work as hard. And, and it's those guys or those girls that do put in the extra work and do take advantage of that extra time that other people aren't capitalizing on. It becomes a huge opportunity. So when, you know, things go back to normal or whatever ends up being in the future, whether it's this season or next, you know, they're that far, you know, their hands are that far ahead, their, their heads that far ahead, their hand, their, you know, their fitness, their, their skills, like everything they're working on and other guys aren't, and they're going to be that much better for it. So I think that's awesome advice. And that, that kind of rolls me into um, kind of more of the, the close up here a little bit, you know, at the end of, end of these shows, we, we really like to tap into your experience and your advice. And that's kind of the goal of this whole, the whole piece. And so um, you, know, with that, you've kind of touched on it a little bit, but talk about a listener, what it doesn't have to be an Australian player, but just a, a young player that's listening, that's aspiring to reach, juniors or NCAA level, or even just, you know, they're on their single A team. They want to make their double A team or double A to triple A. They want to make that jump to the next level. What kind of advice would you extend to that player that's listening? Oh, look, I was one of those players that I shouldn't have made it where I did. And I think in the game of hockey, even though it doesn't feel like it, sometimes you feel like this person's a stud, that person's getting this. At the end of the day, the majority are players that don't deserve to be there. How many times do you hear a story of someone coming out of nowhere? Um, Perfect example, I think of as Justin Abdicator. No one in AAA, like growing up, knew about him. He was a kid in Muskegon. Ends up getting Mr. Michigan, or he was yeah, Mr. Michigan for high school hockey. Goes to Cedar Rapids, wins the championship, goes to Michigan State, gets drafted, and he's a Michigan kid playing for the Detroit Red Wings. And I just, I look at some of these stories, and so oftentimes players can get into their own head and start a negative self talk. Um, you got to be on your own team. You have to be able to talk your way through things. Um, there's going to be ups and downs. That's what sports is about. Uh, that's why I love it so much is because we can learn how to win. We can learn how to lose. We can learn how to deal with adversity, all the things that you're going to deal with in life and the safety of a game. Cause at the end of the day, it is a game. Can it provide you an income? Absolutely. Can it get you a college scholarship? Absolutely. Can it give you life experiences that you've never thought of? Absolutely. But at the end of the day, it is a game. So finding a way to, to believe in yourself, work hard day in and day out. And if you can do those things and always have a, a willingness to get better, like the world's your oyster. Because at the end of the day, when I was a captain for RPI, like sitting on the blue line, listening to the national anthem, I was thinking to myself, wow, like this is pretty cool. Yeah, You know, I, I never would have thought of those things if I would have given up. And there's been plenty of times where I could have given up. I could have got cut from a team. I could have gave up, um, but I didn't. So for all those players, believe in yourself. Um, if you even need to, because the mental side of the game is so huge. And even myself, I've done it. Um, talk to a psychologist, talk to, a, I don't, like, you know, talk to someone that's going to help you have the mental skills that you need to help with your day-to-day life. But um, yeah, that's what I was saying. Hard work pays off. And uh, talk to yourself in a positive way because negative talk will only slow you down. For sure. Um, then if you wouldn't mind, let's, let's dive a little bit deeper into the fact that uh, there's obviously a racial unjust going on, especially here in the U.S. right now. And with you being a, a black hockey player, you've been through things and seen things that me as a white male will never understand. And so – would you, would you mind talking about that and just your, your experience as a, as a black hockey player and then any advice you might have for, for a young black hockey player out there that wants to play big-time college hockey? And like, Look, growing up, like, you know you're black, but I never used that 
as a crutch or uh, a played the victim mentality. Um, have I heard that uh, the N-bomb dropped on the ice plenty of times growing up, you know? But usually it was because I was frustrated. Like if I was doing my job and someone didn't have the ability or mental capacity to come up with something else, they would say that. So you do have that, that racial tension. And at the end of the day, it, it's America. You know, we do have that, that history and it, it has been tough. And seeing everything that's happening now, it's just like so often incidents would happen and then it kind of gets swept, swept under the rug. Mm-hmm. Um, but at this stage, it's so prevalent that people are like, let's do something about it. So there's no just sitting in the middle. It's a more of, it's either you're for Black Lives Matter, and in a sense, I say all lives matter, or you're against that. Right. And if you're against it, why would you be for oppressing people? Um, the thing that hurts me the most within the ice hockey community, I would say, is just reading the things on the, on the NHL page. Like I know I went off the other day and it's, it's a game and I know I've put a lot into it. I know there's other people. I know it's a great game, but when you see how disgusted certain people are because the NHL is taking a stand for social injustices and people talk about, we don't want to see politics and sports and all these different things. It's like, well, it's being brought to the forefront and you don't want to talk about it. Right. At the end of the day, if we're having that conversation, just like you said, you're like, there's things that I've gone through that you wouldn't know. Mm-hmm. Having that conversation and understanding that that is real. Um, that, that's the biggest thing. Is it going to change overnight? No. But there's a lot of prejudice that are happening at home that kids aren't born with. It's passed down. And at the end of the day, if we can have kids question, well, dad, why, why are black people upset? Why are all these riots happening? If the parent says to the kid, well, because black lives, well, because black people are below us, that's going to be, the kid's going to be like, it's going to, it's going to cause some, like the kid's going to have to think for himself. But if he's saying, because, you know, these things are happening, some of these things are because of the prejudices that we've grown with. At least we can have that conversation. We can have information. Like, trust me, I know as a black guy in America, I, when I, if I'm ever pulled over, hands are on the steering wheels, all my windows go down and it is just looking dead straight. And it's just, yes, sir. No, sir. And like, regardless, even though I talk, you know, very proper, I, I don't talk like I'm from any hood or I, or the ghetto, or I can form perfect sentences. I still know that there's a very good possibility that for whatever reason, I could be considered making a threatening motion. And that's because of fear. And I think a lot of these things are ran by fear. So I don't like to get into the details of what happened or if the person did the wrong thing or right thing. But at the end of the day, the conversation needs to be had. Um, And I'm hearing more coaches have that conversation with their players. And yeah, for any black player out there that's growing up, um, look, it's not going to happen overnight. But also know that you're not alone. Um, if I've gone to where I can get to, I know you can get to further places. Um, you look at Seth Jones, who's a great example of that. You look at so many players that have made it in the league and have had an impact. And it's not about the color of our skin at the end of the day. Uh, we're all humans. We all bleed red. And I think once we get to that point, life will be better. Yeah. Yeah. It's well said. And I think right away when you started and you just talked about like, when there was derogatory terms dropped uh, on the ice, you almost took it and uh, maybe I'm saying this the wrong way, but I think this is good conversation is like, you almost took it as a compliment. Like I'm frustrating this guy so much that he has to go so low and now he's so far off his game that you've got him. Yeah, exactly. Look, I do have, I do have a funny story, not a funny story. I do have a story. Let's hear it. All right, man. Okay. So (laughs) St. Louis theme already. There is, I don't know who was the prospect that was on the ice, probably some AHL prospect that came from uh, Texas. Um, but he was on our practice ice, but he came with the, the Texas Stars team. Yeah, I think they're called the Texas Stars. Yeah. Anywho, I was Texas Tornado. I was rambling off on the ice about how I didn't like their coach, Tony Crutali. Thought he was rubbish. And this guy's from that team, but he's practicing with the bandits. I didn't know, whatever. 
Um, long story short, that probably got back to the team. So we're walking through the lobby to go to our locker room. Scooter Vaughn, who is also another black player, uh, walks past their locker room and a player calls him out. I won't call, say this player's name, but he's like, are you John Kennedy? He's like, no. And so Scooter keeps going. Uh, I walk past the locker room. He's like, are you John Kennedy? I'm like, yeah. He's like, I'm going to lynch you tonight. Mm. All righty. And I said, easy, buddy. You'll be the one hanging from the tree. Sorry. I know this is PG, but that this happened. Is good talk. This is the talk. Yeah, yeah. No, it, like, and so this is in junior. So, like, literally, my blood is boiling. All righty. Yeah. First, and, like, and there was bad blood between the Texas Tornado and the St. Louis Bandits because Texas, they own the South in the North American Hockey League. And yeah, but anywho, there was like a scuffle on the ice and I'm ready to go, yeah. ready to go and drop him. He's like, no, not yet. Then there was another time we lined up against each other and I'm like, let's go. And so it's going to happen. So he's all about the show. We, we drop the gloves, helmets off. He holds onto his bucket, goes to center ice, spins the bucket, <laughs> spins it all showy. And look, I've never pumped anyone that harder in my life. <laughs> I probably I probably put on like five five throws in like a second, switched up through a left, and before I knew it, like he was down, shoulder out, and yeah. So karma. I, yeah, I guess you can call it karma. You can call it hockey, but yeah, there's that one story of someone crossing the line, and yeah, I'm not saying violence is the answer by no means, but um, essentially we left it on the ice. Yeah, I think hockey is the only sport that mirrors life. And so when when something does happen, it usually finds a way to regulate itself. And that's that's what it was that night. And so appreciate you sharing that story. I think there's a billion other stories that that we could go on and share. And we'd, we'd love to have you on again. Um, hopefully you can commit to that. Can you commit to that right now? Come on again. Oh, absolutely, Danny. <laughs> Got to get them while they're, gotta get them while they're on air. Um, that's right. That's right. But yeah, we'd lo- love to just dive into to more development stuff. And we're working on kind of putting some coaches roundtable stuff together and just, just talking hockey. And I think everybody kind of needs that right now during this crazy pandemic. And uh, it's just, I mean, it's a crazy world right now. And so love to have you back on. But before... Before you jump off, we always have all of our guests give us a big let's go. So if you, if you wouldn't mind uh, kind of sending us off and then, then camera will, will, will do the rest from there. Awesome. Well, hey, guys, I just want to say thank you for having me uh, on the show, I guess, or on the podcast. Uh, what you're doing is great. Uh, I've been listening to a lot of your episodes and uh, hearing players that I've played with and against on here and some amazing coaches and what you're doing for the hockey community is great. So I know I hope more people from here in Australia listen to it, but just across the world. So without further ado, let's go. Oh. Awesome. JFK, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to come share your uh, your story in hockey, share some of your thoughts and, and your experiences and, and open up with us as well uh, with your experience in the game. And We really, truly appreciate you coming on. It's been a blast talking with you. I look forward to talking to you again soon. Uh, best of luck down there in Australia. I can keep growing the game, man. I love it. I love it. So with that, I think we're going to, we're going to let you go and we'll, uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks buddy. Let's go. Thanks again, JFK. We appreciate you coming on. We know time is, times are crazy right now and time is hard to come by. So we appreciate you coming on. It was awesome to get connected. It was awesome to figure out the time zone and how he's in the future the guy thought it was Friday, but it was actually Thursday. So he's obviously working like crazy. Can't even keep track of his days. But uh, pumped to have you on, Coach. Uh, like I said, we're having you on again. He committed to it on the podcast, which got him. He has to do got him. it. You got him. Um, and yeah, let's let's jump into our three stars. Uh, go ahead, Coach. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think there's a lot of really good takeaways. So I, I was kind of racking my brain. What are the three stars of tonight? And I, I think I'm going to go. You know, with the third star, uh, I'm going to talk about the coaches that this guy had the opportunity to play for. You know, he rattled off Seth Appert and uh, John Cooper and, and Sean and all these guys that he had at different stages in his career and the different lessons he took from those guys. And I'll twist this on this. You know, like this, JFK was fortunate to 
to play under a couple very prominent coaches that had very successful careers and developing players and, and winning a lot of hockey games. And, you know, now, now he's a coach and, and I think he's taking different pieces from those experiences and making it his own coaching style. And I think that's the takeaway from that is that, you know, whether you have the best coaches in the world or guys that are just volunteers and, and making it work, there's something positive to draw from every single uh, coach you had. And if you're a coach out there listening, like that's, that's how I've developed my coaching style. I'm, I'm guessing that's how Danny does. You, you, you get, you know, you steal the, the aspects you like from those coaches and you kind of remember also the, the learning experience of the ones that you don't like that. You're like, that's not how I'm going to treat my team or that's not what I'm going to do. And that's not how I'm going to run practice. But you know, having the fact that the guy got to grow up playing for some, some very legendary coaches that are at the highest level of our game right now, I think that's a pretty cool deal. So that's my third star. Second star we're going to go on to the player development side. You know, the part where we talked about, you know, he's a, he's a defenseman, played D1, and was a captain. He's, he, he's played against some very high-level players. He, he mentioned a lot of names that are prominent stars in the NHL right now, and he, he was tasked with the duty of playing D against them. And when I asked him, like, what are you teaching your defenseman? He goes right away into the importance of skating and edge work and quickness on your feet. And I think that's a huge takeaway is that sometimes you think about, especially the big defensemen, you think of the just kind of the big lumbering, you know, tough, strong defensemen. And the reality is, is that like, yeah, you can be big and strong and tough, but like if you can't skate, you're not going to be able to play in those higher levels. You're not going to make that team. And, and the way the game is going and how fast it's getting, it's so important to be able to, to, to skate at a high level if you want to play at a high level. It's such a differentiator. And so I think that that is a good reminder for that not just the forwards have to be those really strong, fast, quick skaters. The D have to be good on their feet. And I think that's something that, you know, he mentioned working one-on-one uh, -on -one with his coach an extra 10 to 15 minutes before and after every practice on his edge work and his skating. That's what allowed him to compete at the D1 level. And I think that's a really good reminder. Putting in that little extra work with your feet can go a long ways when it comes time to play. So yeah. those are my two stars. What about you, Heater? What do you have for the first star tonight? Well, I want to add a little bit to that. Just the idea of like, the game has changed and these big, long, lanky defensemen that can't move are, are becoming dinosaurs. And so uh, it, you look at what these forwards can do with the puck. Like, did you see Kucherov's like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like he flipped his <laughs> stick over and sauced it to the other guy. Like a, like a ramp pass. <laughs> Crazy. I don't even know how it like, <laughs> yeah, and I talked to show the friend, John Lounsbury bought it. I was like, did you see this? Like, this guy must just dream things up and then he does it on the ice. And so, uh, and Lounsey put it a, such a good way. He's like, he just masters his stick. He's mastered it. He's, he's the best in the world at it. And you, you put any type of, you put a defenseman, I don't care how big he is, uh, or how lanky and long and brute, like he's going to figure out a way to get around him. And so like JFK, JFK is talking, like if you can't move with your feet, if you can't, keep up with these high end forwards, you're, you're going to get lost in the shuffle very, very fast. So yeah, I thought it was crazy, but uh, maybe we'll post that crazy tip thing on the Instagram channel. I still, I've watched like a thousand times, but it's crazy. Um, yeah. First star, first star of the night. Uh, I want to go back to just our conversation about race because there's a difference between uh, not being racist and being anti-racist. And with the platform we have, We've talked about it before. We've talked about the conversation of race before. We talked about it with CJ Cease, uh, another black hockey player, and the idea that like us as white males will never know uh, what it's like to skate around in, in their boots. And it, it's so good to, to get them on the podcast on a platform that has listeners and let them talk about it. And so the, the number one star is honestly just the conversation we had about race. And, and I loved his mindset where – he started off right away and whether he knew he was giving advice or not, um, he's like, yeah, you know what? On the ice, uh, I had some people use some derogatory terms towards himself. And for him, he's like, then I knew I had him. I knew I, I put him in such a bad spot because, I mean, hockey is the best game in the world. There's no getting around that. And if you're listening to this and you don't think that's true, well, why are you listening to this podcast? Um, but uh I love the idea that he just his mindset there. And he's just like, you know what? I had this guy where he was and, you know, he shared some, some pretty eye opening stories that I've never 
even been close to being a part of. And so it, it was cool, um, kind of rambling on, but I, I just want the importance to, to not fall by the wayside that um, race is an issue everywhere in the world. And uh, if it's not talked about and it's not uh, like he put it in a way where you have to educate your kids and it needs to be something that's talked about and, and educated about. And so number one star, coach we appreciate you opening up we appreciate everything you're doing for the game and we appreciate you committing to coming back on the let's go hockey podcast and showing some love to our listeners so that's all i got um not sure there it's such such an important conversation and you know it's just we need to make our game better we need to make our players within the game better we need to make ourselves and everyone in our society better uh in having those conversations and having people like like jfk that are open to, to talking about that is a really important step i think and so i really i i, I get tongue-tied on that a little bit but I, I can't i can't stress enough how much i appreciate him opening up and and, and sharing his experience like that's for some better understanding and, and hopefully yeah. some listeners out there appreciate that as well and can help do a little little bit to make the world a little bit better place so um, you know I, I think it's a it's an important conversation that's going on in, in the league and around the around society and um, you know, my, I, I hope that things are getting better as a result. The next generation coming up can, can make things better than they are now. So that's a good, that's a good thing. But JFK, thank you so much for coming on the show, man. It was, it was awesome catching up. Um, looking forward to the next time. I'm looking forward to seeing what you're doing in Australia. I'm really looking forward to some beach time in Australia at some point. So I yeah. recorded an episode down there in, uh, in Sydney or Newcastle one of these days. So see now that I could get behind. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, that's absolutely. what traveling out of the country to go do. Yep, yep. Live from Newcastle. Yeah. I'm I'm down. Let's make it happen. Love it. Anyway, that's cool. all that's all I got for the night or for the day, whatever time it is with the time zones. I think we sign that's it off. It. Danny, give us fired up, let's go. Love it. I got I can't be too loud because it's late here and the kids <laughs> are sleeping, but uh let's go. Ooh.